I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Uh, For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they might be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's a very famous verse in that collection of verses, in that passage we've read today. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And you might wonder at the first point, why, why would we make that commitment? Why, why have we chosen to, or why should we choose to, aim to do everything that we do for the glory of God? Well, God made you. And every good thing that we enjoy in life, every good thing in this world around us, is a gift from a good father. And that's one reason why God deserves the glory, why God deserves our honour and our praise. But you say, well, that's nice that all the good things come from God. What about all the bad things? What about all the struggles, the hardships, the aches and the pains, the loss of loved ones? Those things aren't part of God's good world as he made it in the beginning. Those things aren't part of God's good plan for the new world that he will create. All of that is part of the brokenness that we human beings brought into the world through sin. When we rejected God as our father, when we usurped his place, when we said, We have the right to decide what is right and wrong. We have the right to decide what we should do and not God. When we hated God, which is what the Bible tells us we'd done when we rejected him, when we went our own way, when we all, like sheep, had gone astray. When we hated God, he could have hated us and been entirely just and entirely righteous. 
Instead, he came looking for us. Instead, he showed us a love that we could never deserve, never earn, and never repay. And the love that he showed us was love that cost him dearly. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the price for our rebellion against God, our treason against God, by rejecting his rightful rule over our world and our lives. What can we say to the sort of love that instead of hating when he had a perfectly valid reason to hate, instead of cutting us off from all of the good things he had made, he instead chose to give us his only son so that we could be forgiven, so that we could enjoy everlasting life. And one day everybody that has believed in Jesus has really has felt that love, has come to understand the enormity of the love and the grace that God has shown us. Not because we've been to church enough times, not because we've done enough good things to make him happy, but because he chose to love us. Because he chose to show us mercy and grace. That's why God deserves the glory. And that's why it's right that everything we do, even the seemingly unimportant things, eating and drinking and whatever else we might do, that we do it to the glory of God. Because God deserves that glory. Because it's right to glorify him with our lives. Not, not because by doing that we repay him for the love that he's shown us. But just because that's how we respond to the love that he's shown. By showing love in return. But the question is, when, we, when we're faced with a verse like, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. How do we actually do that? How do we actually live a life that glorifies God in all of the small details? We know we come here to church on a Sunday to glorify God and we sing songs and we hear from his word and we, we trust that in doing that we're hearing from God himself and responding to him. And that's worship and that brings glory to God. But we can't sing church songs 24-7 throughout every moment of our lives. We can't... You, know, you, can, you can sing sometimes. You can, you can you know, sing in Christ alone while you're in the shower or driving in the car. But there are some times that wouldn't be appropriate. There are some times where, well, like you're eating, you can't sing and eat at the same time. How do we do all of the little things to the glory of God? Well, a huge part of eating and drinking and doing everything to the glory of God, as we've seen over these last few chapters where Paul has sort of been dealing with this issue of the freedom that we have as Christians and how to use it in the church. Uh, 
he's drawing together that section now. This is, the, this is his big conclusion, his big finale to it. And he's made it clear a huge part of glorifying God in everything that we do lies in not just our, how we are you know, relating to God, but in how we're acting to the people around us, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul's told the Corinthians to balance their freedoms, what they're free to allow to do what is not sin, but to balance it against the conscience of others. Because if they're leading other people to do something that they, their conscience says is sin, they're actually hurting their brother or sister in Christ. And a lot has been spoken about that in previous chapters, and I've preached one and a half sermons on that already, so I'm not going to dwell too much on that aspect today. But Paul tells them, summing it all up, to enjoy their freedoms and to not be worried about like, having to be really legalistic and cross every T and dot every I and, and do all of these things in order to please God, but they can please God by enjoying their freedoms. So if you, if you want to buy something from the market, just don't bother asking whether it was sacrificed or not. And then you don't know, so just eat it. And, you know, if a, if a, a non-believer invites you to come to their house and eat a meal with them, you know, just, and you want to go, well, go and enjoy it and have fun and don't worry about what's put in front of you and whether it might have been sacrificed in an idol's temple. But then... If somebody there raises it as a matter of conscience, if somebody is concerned about it, we should choose to show love to our brother or sister in Christ or even you know, to Jew or Greek or whoever it might be rather than putting our freedoms above their good. And we spoke about how that might apply to a lot of things besides you know, just this matter of meat sacrificed to idols, which is not something we typically come across at Birdwood Foodland, but about how people feel about alcohol, how people feel about certain fashions or, um, you know, something really horrible like having drums in your church. Or, um, sorry, I shouldn't be facetious about that. I know some people meant well with all of these things. But there are some issues of conscience that are not matters of something that is actually sin or not. And so we've, we've had a look at those through the past few sections, but Paul adds something to that now. Paul adds to this, you know, doing everything to the glory of God. A huge part of that is about how we care for and love others. But another huge part of it, is thankfulness. We read in verse 30 here, if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Thankfulness is the right response to the freedom that God has shown us to enjoy the good things that he has made in this world. To enjoy the things that God has given us. And you think about Paul saying all of this. All of the things that he is saying were, saying were a massive change from when Paul was, or was Saul the Pharisee. Saul the Pharisee 
would never have bought anything from the market without asking it a big checklist of questions about where the meat had come from and whether it was kosher and whether it was acceptable for him to eat. Paul, Saul the Pharisee, would never have accepted the invitation to go and eat in the house of an unbeliever. We can take for granted how incredible these freedoms are that we have in Christ. But Paul didn't take them for granted because he'd seen and how, how incredibly free he was following Christ as opposed to when he had been a Pharisee. And so in response to the freedom that he has, he says, I receive everything with thankfulness. Anything, or even these issues that might be a problem for some people, so long as they're not actually sin, then if he receives it with thankfulness, he says that's all that matters. Unless, of course, there's also the issue of whether it would be if there was somebody else with him and it would be a problem for their conscience. So how do we eat and then drink and do everything to the glory of God? Well, Paul encourages us here with these words that a huge way we do that is by remembering that every good thing that we have is a gift from God. And every good thing that we enjoy is a gift from God. It's not only food that we can say, you know, Lord, for what we're about to receive or what we have received, we are truly thankful. How much of our lives could we benefit from stopping to give thanks to God for the good thing that he's given us? And as I said briefly uh, in my last message, I think this thankfulness is a good way to stop uh, good things in our lives from becoming idols. Because instead of becoming things that compete uh, for our devotion to God, you know, we love, do, we, do we love the good things in our lives or do we love God? We love God because he's given us the good things in our lives. And that way the good things can lead us to love God more rather than being rivals to him. As the uh, old, well, I think reasonably old song says, I seek the giver, not the gift. Now this giving thanks to God, this, this uh, you know, anytime we enjoy something, anything good in our life, taking time to say thank you to God for it, it's not about flattery. It's not about trying to, you know, butter God up. It's about shaping our hearts in how we respond to the things that we enjoy, about helping us to remind us every day that the good things we have are God's good gifts to us. And in doing that, in shaping our hearts to love him more, eating and drinking and whatever it might be, will bring glory to God. So it's good to think about, can we say thanks to God for the things that we enjoy? Now, if those things are actually sinful in and of themselves, probably not. But all of these other things, all of these freedom we have in Christ, all of the good things that we enjoy that he has given to us, we can say thank you for. 
So it's good to think about what could we thank God for today. It's good to stop and to be thankful. That's a big part of doing things to the glory of God. And as I noted earlier in the sermon, the other huge part of bringing glory to God is horizontal. It's not, about, not so much about how I react to God and how I respond to God, but how I treat the people around me. Paul tells us in these verses, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And then again at the end, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. Doing things to the glory of God is seeking the good of others, not my own. It's loving my neighbour as myself. So when you eat or drink, or whatever you do, how can you use that to love others? How can you use that to build up others? There might be times where it's helpful to invite and include along others and show hospitality to the sort of people that we might not normally invite around to our houses. We can use meal times to cherish and build up those who are there and let our meal times be times of family and fellowship where we encourage one another, we build one another up. Will we be like Daryl Kerrigan from the castle who no matter how mundane the meal was that his wife puts before him, he's always raving about how good it is. Just a tiny little thing that can show love to somebody else. I know some, some people might consider that movie to be a matter of conscience, so maybe I shouldn't have used that example. But um, it can be good to have, uh, you know, I've enjoyed sometimes doing a, a devotion at the table and uh, encouraging our, our family in their relationship with Christ in that time. But it could be all sorts of things. It could be just going and having a beer with someone who you know, needs that time with somebody else. Or it might be you know, a soft drink with somebody else because that person you know, beer is a matter of conscience for them. But when we're eating, when we're drinking, when we're working, when we're training hard for the football season, when we're you know, having a lazy afternoon at home. Where are the opportunities to show God's love to somebody else? That's, that's another huge aspect, looking at that, of what it means to live our lives so that everything we do is to the glory of God. Is thankfulness in all things and in looking for opportunities to use even the mundane things to show his love for others. But it's not always easy to know how to use those opportunities to show his love. And so in, in finishing off this morning, in closing up what Paul has said here, Paul also clues us into a valuable way to learn how to show God's love better, to learn how to glorify God in everything that we do.
He says to the Corinthian church, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's an incredible thing to be able to say, isn't it? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I feel like if I was going to make that statement myself, I'd want to put all these qualifiers on there. As I follow the example of Christ, except for when I get this wrong and when I get this wrong and when I get this wrong. And we all get some things wrong. But I think what Paul encourages his, uh, us to do here is to learn from someone who is like Christ. To learn from someone who is a good example of Christ-like love and faithfulness. Sometimes we can get caught up with a picture of Christianity that is all about God and me and all about my quiet time away from everybody else reading my Bible and it's just God and me and all of those things are good things. But God has also chosen to save us in community. God has chosen not, to, not just to make us Christians, but also to make us the church. He's given us one another for a reason. And none of us have ever met Jesus in the sense that like, the first apostles met Jesus and walked with him and saw what he was like. But we have a measure of his character in God's word. And we can see the people in the church that have some, something Christ-like about them. And we can follow their example as they followed somebody else's example, as that person followed somebody else's example, as that person followed the example of Christ. And so Christ-likeness has spread through the church throughout the generations. I think there's great value in seeking out and in having godly mentors in the church or in being godly mentors in the church. And it's worth saying Paul did caution us in chapters 1 to 3 not to invest too much in human leaders as he criticised the Corinthians for their splitting off into different factions about who it was they followed and he said, that's ridiculous because we're all Christians and we should all be united in Christ. We don't want to invest too much in mentors that we follow. Our faith is in Christ alone. Even godly mentors can let us down. But if we want to glorify God in all that we do, a great place to start can be finding someone who is a good example and asking them, to, to come alongside you and be an encouragement to you. So how do we live our lives then to the glory of God, wrapping everything up? How do we eat and drink and play football and have a relaxing Sunday afternoon and work and have a chat at the uh, water cooler at work to the glory of God? with thankfulness for all the good things he's given us, with an eye to how we can show love to others, and also with an eye 
towards what people can be a good Christ-like example to help us to become more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible calling that we have to be imitators of Christ, to be like you. And we trust that you make us, when we put our trust in you, when we choose to be your people, that you do shape us day day by day to be more like you. We may still have some way to go, but we trust that you are doing that work in us. We pray that you will help us to glorify you in all that we do each and every day. Help us to be thankful for all the good things that you have given us that we enjoy. Help us to have a heart for other people like you did, with eyes always open to situations that you could speak love into and that you could show the incredible love that you've shown to us. We pray that you would help us to be wise in learning from people who have been followers of you for a long time and have learned to be like you. We pray that you will help us to live up to that incredible calling, that we might glorify you each and every day. Not by our own strength, but by the strength and the leadership that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, All glory be to Christ. All to the glory of God.